This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The federal election is now two days away, but maybe you voted over the long weekend. Some 4.7 million Canadians cast a ballot in the advance polling, almost 30% more than in advance voting in 2015. But it could be the undecided Zoomers who sway this election, according to the Zoomer primary at zoomervote.ca. This was one of the topics on Thanksgiving Monday when Bob Comsick filled in for Libby Snymer and spoke with Zoomer Magazine senior editor Peter Mugridge and Zoomer Media vice president David Kravitz. Last week, we saw the first signs of a move toward the Conservatives. Very, very modest. They're winning our poll by a half a point or so. But on the weekend, they win by two points. They open up some distance between uh, the Conservatives and the Liberals, almost 36% to almost 34%. The NDP moves up, but not nearly as strongly as in the national poll. So our ZoomerVote.ca audience is moving... uh, I wouldn't say in a landslide, but yeah, not running discernibly and uh, inching toward the conservatives, NDP improving, but still way behind where they are uh, nationally. So it reflects, except for the NDP surge, we are reflecting the national polls because they are showing uh, a slight uh, move away from the liberals. The question is, and Peter, you'll comment on this, I know how strong is the NDP and what damage will it do to the uh, liberals? Okay, so David basically uh, took the baton there and um, and let's pass it over to you. So what about that? So I live in a downtown riding and um, Andrew Cash is my... um, it's Andrew Cash, and, and uh, he lost the last election to the Liberal in the Liberal wave. But um, judging by sign count, which isn't very accurate, he seems to be coming back. And I've read some local polls showing that um, he could take the riding. And, and it seems to me that a lot of the a lot of the downtown ridings will will shift back to NDP from uh from the liberal wave we experienced in the last election and that could account for um the rise in the ndp in our polls they're they're finally ahead of the green the green has has pulled above them all since we started doing this six weeks ago and now now the ndp is above the green where they should be where i always thought they should be and um eating into eating into the liberal vote our Zoomer poll, 12%, 11.9, 12 in that range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay there all the way through. So there's a lot of people sitting on the fence. And remember, when we talk about undecideds with Zoomers, important to keep in mind, you're talking about likely voters. When you're talking about undecideds for the population as a whole, you're talking about more people who are not convinced, not enthusiastic, don't know what they're going to do, and may well stay home as a result. They're not um, burning to cast a ballot. Zoomers are six out of 10 votes cast, will be from our age group. So the undecided Zoomers tend to decide and <laughs> they go yeah. somewhere, whereas the other age groups don't as much. So uh, if I were these uh, any of the political parties, I would be spending the last week throwing every single messaging 
<laughs> messaging yeah. moment, ad dollar speech, uh, public event at this demographic, because we are definitely going to decide this election. Peter, what about, you know, the the undecided? David mm-hmm. uh, touched on it. Would you concur? Is, is there another point yeah, pertaining I, to that you'd I, care to make? I was speaking to um, an Ipsos Reid uh, pollster, Daryl Bricker, who you see quoted a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was saying in the last election, um, the, the undecideds were so in favor of Trudeau, um, his popularity was 69% at times, which is unheard of for a leader. And that brought out a lot of the undecided and a lot of the first-time voters. This time around, he's down in the low 30s. He's, um, he's not generating that kind of positive vibe, that kind of hope for the future. And undecideds and first-times don't look like they're going to turn out for the Liberals. So... That could be a big change from the last election where he swept th- that those demos. What are you keeping an eye out for rather than what are you looking forward to happening, possibly? Two scenarios. One, there's some new event or bombshell, real or imagined, serious or not, but some new wrinkle in the narrative that drives one party onto the uh, defensive or not. Otherwise, I think it's going to be the same drift uh, that we've seen. And the one thing that the polls have not uh, focused on as much is that who are the likely voters? You know, you're, you're polling adults, but are they going to vote? We hear people that are undecided who like the liberals and are still undecided. So the Zoomers are going to vote. The Zoomers are going to get to the polls. Uh, let's see if any of the parties wake up to that and do anything about it. Peter? Yeah, Peter I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Trudeau as the reality kicks in that um, the Liberals aren't going to get a majority, um, how he handles questions about uh, coalitions with uh, NDP. That'll be very interesting to watch for. Zoomer Magazine Senior Editor Peter Mugridge and Zoomer Media VP David Kravitz on the latest Zoomer primary at zoomervote.ca. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Still with the federal election, which continues to be a tight race between the Liberals and Conservatives. Our Tuesday strategy panel talked about the dynamics on the campaign trail, including a proposal by NDP leader Jugmeet Singh for a coalition with the Liberals. Libby Snymer was joined by Aleem Kanji, Vice President of Government Relations at Sutherland Corporation, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto. It certainly is a tight race. Um, we haven't seen much movement in terms of either the conservative or the liberal level, levels of support. If anything, um, their numbers have uh, dropped ever so slightly. Um, clearly, the uh, Bloc Québécois have come on substantially in Quebec. Uh, the NDP are doing better in British Columbia, somewhat better in Ontario, not nearly as well in Quebec. Um, so while their popular support seems to be rising, it's an open question as to whether it translates into seats. In terms of strategic voting, it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic. It kind of goes hand in hand with the, the wave of advertising, which everyone will be seeing over the coming days. And a lot of the advertising that you won't be seeing, which is targeted via social media to individual voters. And that will be very much rooted in, um, sort of appeals to strategic voting because, um, at the moment, there, you have the conservatives with 
kind of a lock on 32% of the population, but a long way to go to get a majority. So I was kind of surprised at Mr. Scheer suggesting to Canadians that he should get a majority because that could have the effect of actually motivating people who are opposed to him to vote strategically. <laughs> I, I, I think that the conventional wisdom on the strategic voting is is now maybe turned on its head. I mean, I think you know, if anyone is thinking of voting strategically, maybe don't. <laughs> Karen, <laughs> what do you think? I'm with you. I don't think that um, people, when they when they get into the, the box and the caster ballot, I think they're not doing it strategically. They're doing it because that's the person they want to vote for. And I, I do think the NDP has gotten this surge of support for what it is, for the support that it is, because um, Jagmeet Singh has done better on the debates than anyone anticipated. Now, the bar was pretty low. <laughs> to be candid. Yeah. And he exceeded that bar. So I think the support that we're seeing for the NDP, quite frankly, I think it's soft. I think it, it's not going to harden into votes or seats. I think, um, but there is a, there is still a part of the voting block that is st- still up for grabs. And I, and I actually don't think it's going to go to the conservatives. I don't. I think that if the, if there's any softness in the, in the voting block, it's, it's probably going to go to the liberals. Aleem, what's your take? We're headed for a minority government. You know, really, there is no clear pathway, I, I think, um, at this stage. And I don't see that changing over the next week to a road uh, to a majority for, for anybody uh, at this point in time. Um, this next week will be fascinating to watch. Uh, I know Charles talked about it earlier uh, in terms of the increase in the advertising and particularly the negative advertising. Uh, I think we're going to see that come out. I think we're going to see... Uh, continued personal attacks uh, on uh, on leaders. And I also believe that if you look at the front runners, yes, there's been a little bit of a, of a bump up for Mr. Singh, but has there been, you know, an overall favorability uh, for for any of the front runners? Uh, I haven't seen that. I, I don't think that's really, uh, that's really happened. You know, when we talk about strategic voting, Fundamentally, what what that is is, is it, it, it it means that it's it's its intent really is to keep uh, one party and a disliked party from being elected by two like-minded parties. And so, when we talk about we hear about this this notion of of, of a progressive voting, that really comes down to uh, the NDP and the Liberals. Theoretically, it sounds uh, like like a good idea, but oftentimes what it can do is it, it can it can help that third party, in this case, the conservatives, uh, from, from really coming up the middle. And I'd be watching for that, uh, uh, as well, uh, over the next week. Keep in mind the conservatives have out fundraised and will be willing to spend, uh, all the money that they've got over this next week to make sure that Andrew Scheer is elected as the next prime minister of the country, whether that happens or not. Karen? Yeah, I think the NDP support has peaked. To be candid, I think it, I'm going to. I think it's going to decline over the next week, and I think the Liberals will be the beneficiaries of that decline. I'm predicting majority. I bet twenty five dollars on a majority Liberal government. Twenty five dollars. I did a whole twenty five. Okay. <laughs> I bet Charles, you're you're not going to take her on on that. Listen, I, I have found the only luck I have is bad luck for starters, mm-hmm. and I've also found prophecy to be a lousy way to make a living. So I'm no predictions offered at this time. I will say it will be an absolutely fascinating six days and. And I suspect we will see a surprising degree of movement among uh, voters in terms of who they're going to vote for. I think strategic voting will weigh very heavily on people's thinking. And it could very well come down to a question of not who you want, but who you don't want.
Our Tuesday strategy panel in discussion with Libby Snymer, Charles Bird of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and Aleem Kanji at Sutherland Corporation. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The first anniversary of recreational marijuana legalization in Canada was this past Thursday. Given that we'll be going to vote on Monday, it's worth remembering that this is widely seen as the promise that won a majority government for the Liberals in 2015. The rollout of legalization has been spotty and problem-plagued, especially here in Ontario, with supply shortages and problems, delays in legal store openings, and no let-up in the fierce competition with the black market. There are also plenty of issues around driving while high and Canadians who've been barred from the United States after admitting they have smoked marijuana. Joining Libby to talk about the first year of legal pot in Canada, Michael Armstrong, associate professor at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University, and Omar Khan, national cannabis sector lead, Hill and Knowlton Strategies. We are looking at the biggest public policy change, uh, I think, uh, at the federal level, at least uh, in the last hundred years. Uh, so, of course, uh, you know, there it, nothing is going to roll out perfect. There have been some challenges, particularly in the early stages around supply. The retail rollout uh, in some provinces, like Ontario, has been spotty. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and certain players in the industry are, are facing, you know, questions about, you know, their governance practices and whatnot. That being said, this is an industry that's added $8 billion to the GDP of this country, and it's currently employing between uh, nine and 10,000 Canadians from coast to coast. Uh, so, you know, by and large, I think it, it's, been, it's been positive. There's some learnings for sure uh, uh, over the last uh, year or so. Uh, so plenty of room for improvement. But at the end of the day, it's been a net benefit to Canada. Dr. Michael Armstrong, uh, do you agree with that? Yes. Uh, I, I use terms like limited success, qualified success. Uh, is certainly a success. We have legal cannabis. We have an industry. We have retailers. Uh, there's been lots of problems. So I wouldn't call it a, uh, a roaring success, but uh, it's definitely a step forward. Uh, the challenges the industry has faced over the last year, uh, we've had a shortage of product, although that is uh, now resolving itself since spring. Uh, we've had a shortage of enough retail stores uh, in most provinces, uh, except here in Ontario, that is uh, also looking much better. So going forward in next year, I think the challenges of the industry will be to compete with the black market more directly, uh, particularly on price and on product quality. Let's talk about uh, that a bit, Omar. So the, the advent of legal marijuana didn't seem to stop illegal marijuana, and even though marijuana is legal. And why the big price difference? So, well, one of the things policymakers will need to look at in, in the next year um, is how to convince about, there's about 10% of, of, of cannabis users who account for about 80% of consumption. And, and that 10% has been particularly inclined, I think, uh, to remain loyal to the illicit market. So, so what public policy decisions must be made uh, to convince that cohort to shift uh, to the legal market, I think it's partly uh, it'll it, partly it'll be alleviated by the fact that new product lines uh, like edible and, and edible infused and, and edible and infused products and extracts will be coming online in the next couple of months. 
so so the products that they want will be more readily available. Part of it is expanding uh, the footprint uh, uh, or the the retail storefront footprint, particularly in provinces like Ontario, uh, you know, where currently there is, I think, uh, just under 50 licenses out there. It'll, it's soon to expand slightly, uh, probably going to expand a lot further under a different, uh, more, more liberalized regulatory regime uh, in the new year, I would imagine. Uh, so there, there's a number of tools out there that policymakers have. You know, you, you, you spoke about price. Today, you know, the province of Quebec announced that they're actually going to come out with a minimum price uh, of, of just over $4 in an effort, uh, $4 a gram in an effort to, get, to tackle the illicit market. There's a number of tools uh, at the disposal of policymakers. It's just a question of taking a, a holistic approach and realizing that, you know, it's not going to happen in a day. This is going to be a, this is going to be a long-term strategy to, uh, to drive out the illicit market. What would you like to leave us with, Dr. Michael Armstrong? Uh, looking forward to next year, we've got edibles, uh, drinks, uh, all sorts of new products coming online gradually. Uh, that's going to help the legal industry because right now that's a, a hole in their product line. So that will move them a step forward. Uh, the industry itself, I think, has to improve the quality of its product, uh, and uh, provinces have to work with industry to drop the price. Here in Ontario, we really need more stores uh, and a clearer strategy on how those are going to open. Omar Khan? Canada has an opportunity here uh, to become a world leader, to, to, to use our experience to establish ourselves as a center of excellence here. We see that in uh, New Zealand, for example, uh, later this week, they're, host- they're holding a referendum on cannabis legalization. We know that in Germany, cannabis is available at every pharmacy uh, on the government's national pharmacare plan. So this is a huge opportunity for Canada, for Canadians, for, for Canada's economy and for jobs in this country, and we shouldn't let it go. Omar Khan, National Cannabis Sector Lead at Hill and Knowlton Strategies, and Michael Armstrong, Associate Professor at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. You've likely heard the upsetting statistic that one in two Canadians will be diagnosed with cancer during their lifetime. And everyone, it seems, is touched by the disease, whether suffering themselves or going through it with loved ones and friends. So why has this not emerged as a national issue during the federal election campaign? To answer this question, Libby was joined by Cindy Barnes, who's been diagnosed with stage three tonsil cancer, and Sean Cheery, senior manager of analysis at the Canadian Cancer Society. The financial impact is a big issue, and we've had three issues that we've been asking parties about ourselves, and uh, one of them is that the extension to the EI sickness benefit going from 15 to 26 weeks. We know for many common cancers that the treatment and recovery time is much longer than the, the 15 weeks that's currently available, and also the compassionate caregiver benefit was extended from six weeks to 26 weeks in 2016, so we want to see the caregiver benefit uh, in line with the sickness benefit for the actual sick person as well. We're also asking for a cost recovery fee of $66 million for the, from the tobacco industry to cover the cost of the federal tobacco control strategy and all the work the federal government has to do because of exposure to smoking. And we also want to close the gap in coverage for take-home cancer drugs in Canada. You know, we do have coverage, but with take-home cancer drugs, if you live in a Western province or Quebec, you're covered. But 
Ontario and eastern provinces, you aren't. Unless you have private coverage, um, there's a huge out-of-pocket expense for those take-home cancer drugs. We're asking the federal government for considering it. You know, we we haven't seen anybody step forward on it, but we've been seeing you know, the parties coming forward with their pharmacare plans, and we're hopeful that it could fold into what they're planning for pharmacare. Cindy Barnes, tell us a little bit about your story. When you were in treatment, uh, was it a financial hardship? How did you manage? My, I did not have any benefits. Uh, I was under contract with my employer, so I personally did not have any benefits. I was very fortunate that my husband had benefits. But, however, um, my husband took four months off work to look after me because the treatments are so debilitating. So he left work with um, no coverage, like there was no coverage for him. So his salary was void for four months while he looked after me. But however, my medication was covered through his benefits. What did that do to your family having to, to, how did that affect your family? Uh, Well, it certainly changes things for a while. But it, it it had to be done. It, I just could not be here by myself and make it to my appointments and, you know, and just everything, just day-to-day living, eating, taking medication. I was, it was so debilitating. You, you just have no idea. I, I was permanently on the couch. And when, when I would get up, when my husband would take me to my appointments, first thing I'd do would be put the seat back. Like, you just have zero energy. It's interesting because that sounds tough, but, you know, on the other hand, your husband is probably fortunate if there was a job waiting for him after he took four months off because a lot of people can't do that. Isn't that right, Correct. Sean? Correct. Yes, exactly. Sean? Yeah, that yes. is correct, yeah. Uh, are you looking for any provisions like that to guarantee people's jobs if they have to take the time? Yeah, that's what we will have to look at if, you know, if the federal government, whoever takes power, implements the EI sickness benefit, then we'll have to look at uh, what provinces have that protection for job leave to ensure that people can take advantage of an extended EI benefit for both the patient and the caregiver. And Cindy, uh, do you have a, a priority list of what you would like to see from the government? Uh, yes, I would definitely like to see the sickness benefits change from 15 to 26 weeks. There's no way um, an individual is, you know, ready to, to go back to work and be a productive employee after 15 weeks. There's just no way. No way. And, Sean, what would you like to leave us with on this quickly? Well, I think, you know, the three issues we've put forward are, are, are key issues for, for Canadians faced with a cancer diagnosis. So, you know, ask the questions of which party we think would best support your needs. Sean Cheery, Senior Manager of Analysis at the Canadian Cancer Society, and cancer patient Cindy Barnes. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Dennis in Brampton phoned to say he likes the idea of a minority liberal government propped up by the NDP. The ideal outcome for me would be a liberal minority uh, with the NDP holding the balance of power. And uh, with respect to coalition, uh, that might even be a better outcome. If you think, care about climate change, I think um, 
coalition would be just fine. Grace in Toronto phoned to talk about the high expenses around cancer care. My brother was diagnosed with cancer. He didn't have insurance, so it was a huge mess. And then what ended up happening is my mom, who was a senior, had to take out a line of credit on our house to help him with his expenses, paying his house, paying his mortgage on time, because we didn't know whether he was going to live or whether he was going to make it through the, um, the treatments. And it was a very chronic time in our lives. We were all pitching in, trying to help him out financially as much as we could. I wish that there was some place I could go to to get some financial help to help him because we only we all had our own bills as well. Uh, so it was a very, very tough time for the whole entire family. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Sherry in Oakville, who phoned to say legalized marijuana has only been a good thing for Canada. I'm very much in favor for the, obviously, the cannabis and the hemp um, industry to be in my country, but truly for the, for the reasons of being what the revenues are bringing into our country, for the jobs that it's bringing into our country. I mean, that alone we can't ignore. It's not perfect. Nothing is. There's still going to be concerns years out. At the end of the day, I think it's still just a fear of the unknown, but it's going to bring so much goodness, I believe, to our country. I'm just saying I'm very much in favor of it, and I'm very excited about what it's going to do for revenues and jobs. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.